What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, how's it going? It's John Suntress, and welcome to Word Balloon. You found us. That's excellent. If this is your first time, uh, please consider subscribing to us via iTunes or Stitcher or uh, certainly Last FM and all the various places you can find podcasts. Word Balloon is invariably there. Uh, subscribe. Uh, please let me know what you think of the show. Write uh, ratings over at uh, Apple's podcast platform and uh, give me a review. You can say nice things. You can say lousy things. You suck, John, and let me tell you why. Happy to hear your feedback either way. But uh, do me a favor and like me where you can and uh, leave comments. And also, as always, email me, john at wordballoon.com. I'm, I'm interested in your feedback. I'm interested in what you're thinking about the content that I put here. Also, I have a YouTube channel under Word Balloon. Would you please consider subscribing there? I've got about 400-plus subscribers currently. I'd like to get to at least 1,000 and start uh, generating more video content. So go to YouTube and click on the Word Balloon channel and please subscribe. Terrificon, Connecticut's biggest Comic-Con, returns to Mohegan Sun, August 9th to the 11th. Meet Billy D. Williams, Val Kilmer, Doctor Who's John Barrowman, and the voices from Animaniacs and Thundercats. New England's largest guest list of comic book artists from DC and Marvel Comics is at Terrificon on August 9th to the 11th at Mohegan Sun. Tickets on sale now at Terrificon.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, another great episode for you today. Uh, a great conversation I just had last night with Dean Hasfield and Josh Newfeld. Now Dean's been on many times over the years, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his work, whether it's his collaborations with Jonathan Ames, like The Alcoholic, or uh, The Quitter with uh, Harvey Picar, and uh, some work with American Splendor back in the day as well. But uh, he and Josh, now Josh is a longtime collaborator with Harvey as well on American Splendor, and the two of them are doing a great new podcast. It's called Scene by Scene, and they are breaking down American Splendor kind of in the vein of the Star Wars Minute, but instead of doing it each minute and, and just talking about that, they take full scenes and they analyze them. They give us the background of uh, the context of these uh, scenes as far as where comic books were, uh, from Harvey's childhood throughout his life and uh, really good stories but also you know we talk about what they're currently doing as well now you know uh, Dean's doing the Red Hook for Lion Webtoon Comics a great uh, phone app that's free and you get free comics and there's a lot of great creators there and Dean's really one of their stars with the Red Hook his excellent Brooklyn superhero story that uh, continues and he's wrapping up volume three volume two is coming out in uh, full book form from Image uh, in the fall and he mentions that 
Uh, Josh has some other great projects coming up we go back to and talk about uh, some of his reportage comics uh, in the vein of Joe Sacco. And we talk about uh, his work covering Hurricane Katrina, uh, both on the ground as an actual uh, uh, person that was a volunteer helping at the scene, but also those notes uh, then became uh, his wonderful uh, comic about uh, Hurricane Katrina. And we also talk about his collaboration with one of my favorite National Public Radio hosts, Brooke Gladstone, and a very interesting work on uh, the way that uh, journalism is presented to the public and how it interacts, and a more uh, factual look at uh, journalism and the people. And, uh, you know, especially in this era of fake news, it's nice to get some reality. And I think uh, Josh and Brooke's comic book uh, really provided that. It's still available today. We talk about uh, some other uh, future projects that they've got coming up, and uh, also just, you know, where things are in... um, the underground comic uh, movement. I guess they, they fall under that category, a lot of their work. Although Dean does a lot of mainstream work as well. And we talk about his work on Vertigo and uh, also uh, some old Marvel work that uh, he, you know, it was always his dream to do the Fantastic Four. And uh, he was able to do it uh, in, a, in a great uh, Thing miniseries, among other projects that he's done for uh, Marvel and the like over the years, and DC for that matter. But uh, it's always great to get uh, the point of view of where the market is from creators. And it's great to hear from uh, this area of the comic book world and these creators. Josh Newfield, Dean Haspiel on today's Word Balloon. Brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners via Patreon. Thank you very much for subscribing, League. It greatly helps me out. If you'd like to subscribe, Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. But if you want to help me out on the cause, is Word Balloon worth the price of a comic book to you? If you think so, go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or go to the front page of wordballoon.com. Click on the Patreon ad. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Uh, check out their wonderful books. It's uh, a great year for Aftershock. And uh, they've been, uh, you know, churning out amazing books to put alongside things like Marguerite Bennett's Animosity and Garth Ennis's Jimmy's Bastards and Dark Ark from Cullen Bunn and Baby Teeth from Donny Cates. There things, there's things like Dark Red from Tim Seeley and uh, also Stronghold from Phil Hester and Ryan Kelly and uh, even more new books like Joe Pruitt's horror anthology Shock. Cullen Bunn's got Knight's Temporal coming up very soon. Chris Sabella just got Trustfall underway and Matthew Clickstein's You Are Obsolete are coming very soon. Uh, they will take readers far beyond their comfort zones in these books. In the weeks ahead, we'll have more talks with other Aftershock creators about their books. In the last couple of weeks, uh, we talked to Tim Seeley and Chris Sabella. But uh, until then, go to their website. You'll find full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books to order through your local shop at AftershockComics.com. All right, without further ado, let's get into our conversation now with Dean Haspiel and Josh Newfeld on Word Balloon. Josh Newfeld, the Dean Haspiel, welcome to Word Balloon. Dean, welcome back, and uh, Josh, first time. It's a pleasure to talk to you, man. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. Good to be back on the show. Absolutely, man. No, and I'm. Uh, I uh, this is a great uh, new podcast that you guys have, Scene by Scene. Correct. That's, That's right. it. And it's uh, it's a minute by minute examination of American Splendor, the movie. Paul Giamatti well, not, playing not Picard. Not quite or? minute by minute. We're not uh, we're not going that granular. We're doing we're literally doing it scene by scene. So okay. well, you yeah. know anywhere between three to five minutes or so. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. And again, you guys have the insight having having worked with Harvey uh, on uh, on various books over the years and stuff. So that's that's cool. And no, I've enjoyed it, man. A lot of a lot of deep dive. That uh, yeah, you know, I mean, you guys spend like forty minutes on on three minutes of of movie footage because there is a lot of backstory there. 
So that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been really fun. You guys got a good response? Yeah, go on. It it was Josh's idea, initial idea. And Josh, if you want to talk about it more, I mean, you were inspired by Star Wars Minute, right? Yeah. So I I became a big fan maybe three or four years ago of these minute by minute movie by minute podcasts, including Mm -hmm. Star Wars Minute, uh, hosted by Alex Robinson and um, uh, Pete the Retailer. Who used to work at, at Forbidden Planet out here in New York, cool. and uh, I just love the, those shows. And I started thinking, could I do a podcast? You know, I'm right around the right age, like middle middle life midlife crisis, when all the other guys start podcasts. So it's like I, I think I'm supposed to start a podcast. Um, and yeah, being a, um, a former illustrator of Harvey P. Cars and uh, having known Dean for geez, going on 35 years, okay. and knowing and him, him also being a former P. Car illustrator and the guy who kind of greased the wheels that made the movie happen, knowing the producers and knowing Harvey as he did, um, I thought this could be the perfect entree into the podcasting world would be a deep dive into the American Splendor movie with Dean as my uh, partner in crime. So that's sort of where it all started. And I, I, I think I had my first midlife crisis in 2011 when me <laughs> and Seth Kushner and Chris Miskevich and Jeffy Burant uh, launched Trip City and we yep. did a podcast there for a little while. But we didn't really know what we were doing. So luckily I had a second midlife crisis, uh, <laughs> thanks to Josh. And, <laughs> and now we're doing this podcast. But it's funny because Josh and I also kind of have different ideas of what a podcast is, which I think is why this podcast has been an interesting project for us. Um, yeah. I mean, Josh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Uh well, I don't want to air too much dirty laundry of the of the behind the scenes fight. I mean, we always sound like we love each other on you know on mic, but there's there's a lot of stuff going yeah behind the uh, in the green room, which is no. why we don't which is why we don't have a YouTube channel because it's yeah blood. yeah it's it's be rated that's right. mature for violence. Well, you guys, can, um, you know, that's right. You guys could you guys could be on camera and stuff. You see, I this is why I'm audio. I. Uh, you know, oh, and, come on. Clearly, no, no, no. clearly, my midlife crisis has been going on now for 14 years. <laughs> oh, man. So, that, oh, no, that's what that's happens. Awesome, they just man. don't stop, huh? They just well, keep going. I, you know, honestly, I, and this is the, and I'll be interested to hear what, what you guys, why you guys chose podcasting. For me, it was a platform to do the radio show I've always wanted to do, but knew I would never be able to get a local radio station to be interested in doing this. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly when I started. You know, and I felt it was a good time just because, you know, it was 2005, so Batman Begins, Sin City, like, all of a sudden, you know, good movies were being made of of comic book stuff, and suddenly people were taking it seriously, and I'm like, oh, this is just the beginning. And then, you know, know, Whedon is writing X-Men, and then all these other, like, back-and-forth kind of moves between... Uh, the film and television world and, and, and comics and stuff. And, I, you know, I know there's always been a little bit of that. I know that a lot of the great DC writers uh, were writing the Superboy syndicated show in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, right. but, you know, it just seemed like, again, it just seemed even more mainstream. And it was like, oh, maybe this is the right time. So what what about it with you guys? Other well, than I mean, just, crisis? just respond to, to what you said. Like, I, I think now you could absolutely bring your show to some network. Uh, I mean... You've been doing this for so long. You have a great voice. You have great intuition. You like pop culture. 
you, you, you navigate between the mainstream and, and the independent. I would think now because of the popularity, well, let's just say it's the popularity of the movies and cosplay and comic cons and the events. I don't know if, if comics are doing as well as they should be. Right. You know, I do. And we've discussed that in the past, although web comics and, you know, and, and comics being on your phone and everything. So it, it, it does exist and people are aware of them. But I feel like you're right. In 2005, it might have been a stretch. But now that you've been around at it so long, kind of like, you know, with, with Heidi McDonald, like, what's it been 15 years for her now with the beat? Right. You know? Right. Like, you know, I, I used to joke that she was the Rona Barrett of comics, you know? Sure. Uh, <laughs> doing, you know, and, and it's become as popular as as, as Bleeding Cool. Sure. You know? I mean, oh, yeah. Even though there are a billion podcasts and a billion comic book websites, there's only about three that I listen to and, and go read. You know, still, um, but that could could be because I I'm I'm an old guy now and I'm just sticking to the familiar. But um, for me, podcasts I don't listen to as many as I as I probably could or should. But you know, Mark Maron's WTF, sure, you know, is a, is an interview conversation show that's you know that I I've kind of gotten used to. I've been listening to Bill Burr a little bit. I like Bill Burr, and, yeah. And, and, and a few others. And for me, I guess the reason why I listen to a podcast is for the conversation and, and the meandering a little bit, but you know, depending on, on the persons being that, that are the people who are talking, you know, because meandering could go, could go down a drain. You oh, know? yeah. Like man. you can literally <laughs> be wasting everybody's time, you know, and, <laughs> and one of the cool things about working on this podcast with Josh has been the amount of homework that Josh has done and then the amount of, preparation that Josh has done it's been incredible to to you know take take part in that and then because of how much work he does I get to kind of just hop in uh like a half hour before we record I watch a scene I jot down some notes and and I I always felt that I I work better but with my knee-jerk reactions yeah yeah I hear you man extemporaneously sure I think so and I think Josh do you agree with that that like I'm okay in that you know, way doing it that way. <laughs> Enough talking about you guys. Let's talk about me. <laughs> uh, no, Dean is awesome. Like, yeah, that, that's why I wanted him on the show. Besides all the other things, is, is that he's he's always lit. You know, there's always yes. there's always going to be something interesting that comes out of his mouth. And he no, he makes great connections and um always finds things in scenes no matter how much preparation i might have done that i don't see and that spark of of spontaneity is you know what really i think help drives the show and keeps it entertaining i completely but, agree yeah, yeah i mean honestly hearing it and stuff yeah i think um yeah you're the you really are the analytical one and yet yeah, dean gets to kind of dance and dean honestly every compliment that you just gave me i can easily do in kind in the same way that josh was saying is that you know i mean we're we're, we're all you know these uh, josh how how much younger are you because I'm, I'm slightly older than dean i'm i'm 54 I'll, I'll throw i'll throw my cards on the table it's all right oh i'm like so many months younger than that like at <laughs> <Are> least <you> 53? <laughs> <laughs> um i'm gonna be 52 okay at some well, at some point soon well, yeah. honestly man and i know sometimes it's really easy to knock the white, the white middle-aged guys that are podcasting and especially that are nerds and stuff. But I truly do think that especially ones that still are finding new things to get excited about and forgive Mm -hmm. me for patting us collectively patting us all on the back, but we do have that perspective of coming from the three channel childhood and Mm -hmm. we had no choice but to see Buster Crab 
as Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers because they reran it all the time. And Clayton Moore's right. The Lone Ranger. And I know all, and George Reeves and, and Adam West and all that stuff kind of helped us really fall, fall in love with these things and then maintain them. And then, you know, obviously, you know, Dino, in your, in your career and everything, drawing the stuff. And obviously, Josh, I mean, again, I've listened enough that you're, you know, you're of this world as well. So, like I said, yeah, we just, I, I because we know all the good old stuff, because again, it was ran all the time. Any Anyone of our age that was into this stuff would have feel the same way. But then, yeah, mm-hmm. I just think then the, the further chapter, Calvin Reed, you mentioned the beat, you know, Calvin Reed over at Publishers Weekly. I love yeah. that guy. Yeah. Cause he's, he's he's like bad. you know he's like ten plus years older than us and he still gets excited about new stuff and that's yeah. fantastic because that's always when I've talked to like the Len Weens and the Marv Wolfmans and stuff it's like mm-hmm. you know how much do you guys watch of the new stuff yeah you know and I, and I, I don't blame them it's okay man I mean you know God it's like pop music I thought I'd be you know new pop music forever man nah, not so much. You know, I mean, <laughs> so anyway. Well, you know what's funny? John, first of all, what you're talking about is passion. It's how infectious passion can be and, and how to make that come across in a podcast, in an essay, sure. in the artwork, in, in the writing. But but what's interesting is something I hadn't thought about is when, when we were kids, because I'm 52, so we're all about the same yeah, age. Yeah. When we were kids, a lot of our television, and we didn't know this at the time, but a lot of our television, our media, were reruns. Right. They were old stuff. I love Lucy, Star Trek, Twilight Zone, you know, all that stuff. Absolutely. And yes, we did have new stuff as well, but I, I, it never occurred to me when I was a kid that I was looking at older material, that I was falling right. in love with the older right. material, you know? Yes. Now they have that, now they create material, TV shows, like that drops, you know, on a Friday, all the episodes <laughs> of the season, and then you have all these people like, are they even watching the show as they keep it on in the background so they can write the little blog post about it on Monday? I don't even know. I don't even know how you enjoy anything that way. You know? It's disturbing to me. Whereas, like, we could watch a show and then we could all talk about it in the schoolyard or, yeah. you know, call your friend up or, you know. I mean, I, I remember the last time I watched a, what they call appointment TV. Sure. Appointment television. Yeah. Was, I believe it was either Lost or Breaking Bad. Where like you know you would you, an episode would come on then you waited seven days for the next episode yep and and what I loved about that is it taught me to be a better writer because what I could do is think about the different ways of of what might happen next and then you have that dialogue with your friends and family and and peers and it just kind of like charged you know uh, it, it activated the the creative energies in 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 your mind and and then you, you come up with other stories you know and turn that into other things and I think. What's cool about having conversation about a, a subject as a vessel, in this case, American Spider of the movie, is that we get to talk about the movie, sure. But what was important to me, more important to me, was to talk about my relationship with Josh growing up in New York City, you know, uh, learning to make comics together and what that all meant and the trials and tribulations of that. And I feel like, in a way, you might come in, you know, want, uh, learning about American Spider of the movie, but you walk away learning more about me and Josh. That's awesome. And and also maybe just about the history of comics starting in the 70s and 80s, which is when we started being in touch with them and sort of how they've all changed, you know, yes. over the years and decades. But also I think, um, you know, a big part of the show is about comparing the original comics that inspired scenes in the movie 
to the way that they uh, were translated into film form. And so a lot of our discussion is about craft and about how are movies different than comics? What are the obligations of stories, you know, in a more passive form like in film and television or in a more active reader form like comics where the reader is required to do so much more in terms of inference and filling in and kind of uh, creating a a three-dimensional experience. And I think those kind of um, conversations are really exciting, uh, A, because Dean and I have been professional cartoonists for I mean, together, like more than 50 years. And uh, Dean also has this background in film. You know, he's a film major in college, and he's worked in in film and TV productions. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a huge movie fan, and I've always been a fan of, like, director's commentaries and just thinking about storytelling in all of its different forms. So I think, um, you know, we actually have some expertise in that area where we can talk about those things in a way that I think brings out the nuances of both. You sort of see why the choices were made in the film to cut out certain things, to make shortcuts, to smooth over certain stories so that um, disparate stories that Harvey wrote that would then work together to make the narrative of the film play better. But then maybe, hopefully, it gets you to go back and read the original comics, and then maybe, hopefully, go back and read some of Dean and my comics as well. Absolutely, man. And also to learn from a process standpoint, because uh, that's something that I I think a lot of the better uh, comic book podcasts are able to provide. And I try to give that forum to creators when they come on. I, I don't speak the language as well as uh, maybe, you know, obviously not as a, as a creator themselves, a cartoonist themselves. So, uh, you know, people will ask, you know, I'm a writer and I've, I've, you know, from a journalism standpoint, I covered boxing for years, wrote sports and things like that. Yeah. So, so I kind of, you know, gravitate more in terms of being able to, I think, ask better writing questions than, than uh, art questions. And again, Mm -hmm. you know, visual storytelling is writing. And I, and uh, again, I, I think comparing film to cartooning is important because I think a lot of aspiring cartoonists are watching movies and thinking, you know, mm-hmm. about how, what they will put in their comics based on what inspires them from film. For sure. Yeah. For sure. No, that's... Yeah, and, and Josh, come... Uh, well, we, we growing up, we both tried our hand at, you know, genre and superheroes. Yeah. And then at some, at some point, Josh gravitated toward journalism. And I wanted to ask about that. that. Yes, yes. Go yeah, on. so so Josh, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. And what pulled you in that direction? Uh, why, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, um, why are you such a he's, he's doing He's doing my job for me. This is good, I Josh, know. and I'm all for it. No, no, this is great. This is when I get to kick back, and I'll I'll let Dean lead. All right. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, you're, I wasn't busting you. You know that. Come on. I know, I know. Um, no, it's funny. It's just funny. Um, Dean and I, just to set uh, the background for your listeners, we actually met in high school when we were, I think, freshmen, like Crazy. second semester freshman year. Fantastic. And it was one of those random things where we started joking together in the lunchroom and no idea that both of us were into comics, started talking some more, and then it was revealed you know, that we were both aspiring cartoonists. And at that point, we had very similar tastes and goals like i think dean you wanted to be you wanted to grow up to be the the artist for the fantastic four right and i wanted to draw teen titans so you know i was on the dc side and he was on the marvel side which should have said something but (laughs) (laughs) um we had a lot of adventures comics related and and non-comics related all through high school and and really cemented our friendship during those years and in years after and even though yeah i did as i got older probably into my 
you know, through college and then into my early 20s, started kind of aging out of genre comics a sure. little bit. And plus, that was like a weird time because that was, you know, the the whole 90s speculation boom. And so drove there were me few, away, drove me yeah, away from comics, frankly. It really it, did for several it, years. I totally understand. Same, same here. So that was kind of the nail in the coffin. And that was right around the time, though, that I kind of discovered alternative comics, you know, what we call alternative comics, sure. like American Splendor and like 8-Ball and yep. Hate and uh, a whole variety of comics that started coming out in the early 90s. And ironically, Dean had already, like, Dean was had much wider tastes than I did, like, going back to the, you know, high school years. So he already knew about... Uh, Chester Brown and about American Splendor and yep. Harvey Picard, those were all and 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 Mouse, I guess. I, I guess I, I I was introduced to Mouse and Love and Rockets probably when I was still in high school. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. But e- even then, I wasn't sure that they were comics. You know, it was like I had this very fixed idea in my head of what comics were, which was colorful, you know, action adventure, superhero, science fiction kind of stuff. Um, and it took a while for me to kind of come around to see. Wait a second, like. As Scott McCloud says, you know, comics are just a vessel to tell the story, and the right. story can be anything. Yep. It was literally you can tell any kind of story in comics form. So it was in those formative years of my twenties that I started kind of discovering the other potentials for the for comics, and I, I discovered Joe Sacco, oh, yeah. um, you know, who really popularized comics journalism. And so right around the time that I was starting to illustrate Harvey's stories in American Splendor and starting to write my own autobiographical stories, I started to also, you know, come around to the idea of maybe I could tell real stories uh, in comics form um, and and maybe even something like what Joe Sacco does. And that's sort of where my career kind of, uh, you know, moved in that direction. And one big story like that was, of course, your, your uh, coverage of Katrina. And what was the right. what was the title of your uh, Katrina stuff again? So that was AD New Orleans after the Deluge, yep. which uh, came about because I had actually volunteered with the Red Cross after Hurricane Katrina. Wow! And gone down, and I'd gotten trained as a disaster response worker, and I got um, deployed eventually down to the hurricane zone, and I worked down in that area about a month after the hurricane, working with survivors and doing um, food runs and and all sorts of stuff. Um, I wrote a lot about those experiences. I guess I was doing background research for AD, even though I didn't know it. And and then about a year after that, I got invited by uh, a um, website called Smith Magazine to do a comic book story, you know, journalistic treatment of of Hurricane Katrina. And that was sort of what set me down that path. And I did that for about a year and a half, uh, you know, research, finding um, people whose stories I wanted to tell, telling all these different story threads in different ways and uh, then that turned into a book and that sort of uh, set me down that path that I'm still on. That's cool. Is, is, is the Smith website still around or no? It is, yeah, and uh, AD is still up there as a free webcomic oh, wow. as as is a number of other projects that they did, including the uh, the PCAR project that our mutual friend Jeff Newell edited and Dean's Next Door Neighbor uh, project and um, the original Shooting War comic they did so yeah they, they have a lot of great content still up there what were you going to say be- yeah well let's say before that um before judge at ad we had done did we mention keyhole comment no. about keyhole please yeah so so josh and i uh was it after it was after college and we and you, and you were still living in chicago yeah that was when i was in chicago 
for you said for like four years, mm-hmm. and that, that's where you met like Chris Ware, Jessica Abel, Terry uh, Labonte. Yeah. Dan, Dan Clouds was in Chicago too. Or he no? had just left after I moved there. Like I, li- I missed him by like a month. He had moved out uh, to the West Coast. And there was a, a a place. Was it called not the Ear Inn? What was it called? Earwax. Oh, Earwax. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like a cafe, kind of like slash like bookstore slash right. like venue. You know, it was it was a cool place. Oh wow! And y'all y'all would sit there and kind of make like mini comics together or something, right? Well, they did that. Uh, Chris Ware, Terry Laban, Dan Klaus, and a couple other guys did that. And then uh, when I moved there. Um, shortly afterwards, they still had some of their minis for sale at Earwax. And okay. Chris, I, I befriended Chris because we had a mutual friend, Rob Walker, who I later co- uh, collaborated with in Titans of Finance. And he, um, you know, hooked me up with Chris. And Chris told me about the minis. And then I, you know, immediately copied that idea. And uh, I think when you and your girlfriend came out on a visit, we made some minis, and other people came and visited. We did minis together, and so. Yeah, that is, is that continued. what is that what inspired our keyhole? Because we started keyhole as a mini comic, and we went like what five issues or something. I think we did four issues, and then you found a publisher to take it to the the big time. Right. So we 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 got an independent publisher, uh, and it was all new material, I believe. The first issue of, of of the comic book series. Yeah, I don't think we reprinted anything from the mini. We just went straight to new stuff. Man, and then we, we had yeah. And, <laughs> And we decided because it, I think the publisher was called Millennium, and mm-hmm. they, they they were more known, I think, for like horror and splatter porn okay. or something. I don't remember <laughs> some, <porn>. some license <laughs> titles too. Some license titles, and then we, yeah. we realized we were getting lost in the mix. You know, like I I think you know they 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 served a certain audience, and we were doing basically we were doing a, a two man eight ball in a okay. in, in a way. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, and Josh was focused more, I believe, on kind of semi-autobiographical and travel stories. And I was kind of dipping my toe in different genres and as well as, you know, memoir type stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it was a real mixed bag. And then, and then we convinced the publisher to kind of spark an imprint uh, of different alternative comics. And I think we called that Modern Comics, which was the imprint of Millennium. And I think we went four issues with that and then, uh, that's when Top Shelf kind of wooed us and decided to take over and publish issues five and six. Oh wow, that's so, cool. Staros, yeah, now, <laughs> yeah, Chris Staros, Brett Warnock, great guys. I mean, I was there at SBX when we were all sitting there. Like, I, it might have been the third or fourth year of SBX, and and they were sitting there and they decided to ally and become t- uh, the Top Shelf publishing. Oh wow, you know, hilarious! They became yeah, yeah, yeah. So hilarious. It was really cool. Oh my god, and then. And then, um, you know, I've known him ever since. Sure. And then they, they, they published, I had also done like three issues of my Billy Dogma comic at, uh, at Modern Comics. Okay. And then they also picked up Billy Dogma and they did a really cool redesign and it was more indie friendly and it, it made more sense, honestly, to, to go with Top Shelf. Dean, do you remember who their designer was? Craig Thompson. Craig Thompson. Wow, great. Yeah, right. Before he yeah. was getting published. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Before he was published. He, he designed uh, the issues five and six of Keyhole and yep. a Billy Dogma comic called Boy in My Pocket. And maybe even Daydream Lullabies, the, the first collection of material, mm-hmm. which if I look at now, I just cringe. But, you know, we grow up in public, right? So <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. but uh, that, that was I was really excited by, like, a lot of the stories that, that Josh was doing. Like, 
because Josh would travel with his then girlfriend, now wife, Sari Wilson, uh, who's become a writer, a published writer, and would have all these cool stories. And then you did a collection, right, Josh, of that of that material? Yeah, after I, I we published almost all of them in Keyhole, and then I published one in my you know spinoff title, The Vagabonds, and then collected them all with the aid of the Zerik grant, one of the best. Uh, hey, that's great! Grants. Oh, congratulations! Yeah. That's one. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've talked about the Zerik grant before, but you go ahead and, and describe what the Zerik grant is. Yeah. So. Uh, I can never remember which of them it was, whether it was Eastman or Laird, but one of the guys who... who I believe it's Laird. Who, I believe it okay, is Laird. Okay, so Peter Laird, right? Yep. Um, founded, uh, you know, two of the uh, founders of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. One of them, Laird, started a foundation called the Zurich Foundation, which uh, created these uh, self-publishing grants for small artists. Um, for small cartoonists. Yes. And, uh, I, and they specifically you know were there to fund people who probably wouldn't have gotten a publishing contract from a DC or a Marvel or an, even an Image or any of the other right. smaller absolutely man. no and it came at a great you know when the internet was still new and and I don't think as many people figured out like web comics and things like that and it was mm-hmm. I mean and actually I think it even predated I think that that kind of web comic work uh, because it was like mid nineties that they started. Yeah, that? I think it was. I think it was early to mid nineties, right yeah. around the time that SPX started. Actually, there you go. Yeah, man. And so no, it was a, it was a great bridge to I think the ability to to make. Uh, I think I think it's I think it's easier. You guys tell me if it's easier now. If you know, oh yeah, I think the web has definitely made it a lot easier for people to get their work out there. Yeah. there's no doubt about it. Well, I mean, but, but if I may, that, yeah, no, could yeah, contradict go this, ahead, man. Dean. Go, Dean. Because because I'm essentially making a living the last three years, uh, you know, creating a webcomic that's, yes. actually, you know, for your phone, designed for the phone. Webtoons, indeed, um, yes. Yeah, the Red the Hook. Webtoon, the Red Hook. But I would I would hazard that when we, we had a more concentrated field, i.e., you know, DC Marvel, uh, Image wasn't even the number three publisher yet. Yep. You know, it was like Dark Horse yep. and, and I guess Drawn and Quarterly, Top Shelf, all, all these competitive... Fantagraphics uh, yeah, sure. was probably you know one of the bigger publishers yeah. of indie comics, but you had to go to a comic shop or to the shows, and I feel like the internet has leveled the playing field in such a way that you almost can get immediately lost because of how much content is out there. Forget comics; you're competing with like whatever Trump tweeted today. Sure. You know, like sure, every distraction. Span. Every distraction. There's so much. Absolutely. Exactly. Yep. So there's so much distraction happening that I think it's actually. It, it, it's easier to create comics online and get it quote distributed and hopefully marketed in some way, but I think it's actually harder to to get people to even click on something for free. To be honest, well, I, I, yeah, I hear you, man, and uh, and honestly, yeah, I mean, I I, I did want to ask you about how things are going webtoons wise because I mean, I remember when they, I mean, I know they they started in Korea and it's a Korea based uh, company, but uh, right. But yeah, I mean, I know a lot of uh, American creators have been enticed to create content for them, and yeah, how it's going, and you know, so yeah, three years in, man, and uh, at least three arcs, correct for Red Hook so far? Right. So, so I started, you know, three years ago with the volume, uh, well, season one, which then becomes a volume one in print. Yeah. So that would be the Red Hook, and then I did a sequel called War Cry, which was just an extension of the story, and then uh, that will hopefully be coming out in October. Uh, from Image Comics. The first one was also published by Image Comics. So that's volume two. And then I'm currently 
like 13 pages away from finishing season three, which is only about halfway done uh, online in terms of chapters. And yeah, it's for a free, you know, web comics app called Line Webtoon. Uh, and they've done a really good job of wooing and enticing uh, American creators for their American version of their app uh, to create original materials. Uh, in this case, I own the Red Hook, which is really cool. And I have pretty much an autonomous uh, creative space to do what I want, as long as I adhere to certain, you know, rules about sex and violence and, and you know, language. Okay. And, you know, obviously, because I think uh, the... the there's been a lot of tightening of the belt lately. I think even Twitter recently uh, put up a new, you know, terms of conduct or something. Yes. Uh, as they should, to be honest, I think, you know, not to be too conservative. But, you know, uh, the shit show that is social networking sometimes can be awful. Oh, God, you know, yes. And toxic. Yes. And, and morbidly toxic. But having said that, you know, a lot of us are just creating free content and free comics. But, again, a lot of us are doing that. And it's the, the playing field has been leveled from veterans to rookies to, you know, someone's mom just, you know, drawing a, a stick figure comic to bring it back to Harvey, Harvey Picard, uh, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, it, it, and I feel like we, it's easy to get lost because at the end of the day, what, what it starts to become is all about numbers and metrics. And it's just ultimately a popularity contest now. And unless you're, like, hitting it big... It, it, it becomes it, be, it becomes a little uh, difficult, and and you know I still keep my energy and creativity up, but you know I, I'm a communication artist. That's what we do, you know, and I, I want to be able to commu- communicate my story and my ideas more than what it's gotten thus far. Fair enough. I love that. I love that, Dean. Um, you know, he, he's, uh, he's always been ambitious, openly ambitious, nakedly ambitious, yes. which is a really refreshing. And like, I think that's what artists need to, to own that, you know, like he's always, from the moment I met him when he was 14, he had something to say and he used his platforms to say it. And what I love, um, about the work that you're doing, Dean, and always have done, or at least since, you know, you were doing, uh, Tommy Rocket back in college and then going on to Billy Dogma and now on to what you're doing with the Red Hook is is you talk about what you see out there in the world and you use superheroes you use the genre to uh, create your own allegories and your own you know uh, your own universe that reflects what you see out there in the real world but told within the vernacular of superhero stories and it's frustrating I mean it can be it's like you know, there's there's a certain audience which is going to dig that and like buy into you 100. percent But it's it's so personal and um, and unique to your voice that I think uh, it it can be frustrating for you. I know that it's yeah. you know it's it's uh it, you you get you get that vehicle you know to say those things. There's always editors out there who love what Dean has to say, and there's always a rabid fan base. But, you know, whether it's bigger or smaller depends on a lot of other factors. Well, I really appreciate that, Josh. Th- th- thanks a lot for, for saying that and recognizing that. And it's funny because, you know, you're, we are the yin to each other's yang. Yes, you know, totally. And, and, you know, the stuff that you do and the way you approach comics, you know, from a journalistic point of view or where the truth or the facts are really important, how to navigate around those facts. Because you, yeah. base, you base your comics on on evidence and i feel like 
like, I think I've said this before. I know I've said this to you, Josh. I don't know if I've said this to John, but the, the struggle I had with doing memoir comics was the culpability of it, how it had to be very culpable to a timeline, to, to certain truths. Mm-hmm. And I always felt that, that my Billy Dogma stuff or Red Hook or even Tommy Rocket, I, I felt like they were more true to, to my persona and my life because they were more emotionally true. And, mm-hmm. and I, I prefer that over, you know, the facts. I, I prefer feelings over facts in a lot of ways. You know? it, and I, that, and I, it, I, I think I'm that way too. Like I, I try to make my true stories feel like fiction in a sense, like to have that energy right. of, of fictional narrative. But yeah, there is a certain like red line that I don't cross because I do want the reader to feel that they can trust me as a storyteller. And actually, in this episode that we just dropped this week of Scene by Scene, episode 14, we talk about that. That's one of the things that we um, spend a lot of time talking about is sort of like our different approaches to the kinds of stories we tell and what we expect, what we imagine the reader's expectations are. And I, I remember that we talked about, you know, the their expectations about a autobiographical comic that the reader takes with them. Um, and then there are the expectations that they have when they're reading a superhero comic. And, and I, I remember that our debate, I can't like summarize it right now. I mean, people should go and listen. <laughs> but um, I, I thought it was a very interesting conversation because we do come down in slightly different places in that, even though we have such a shared history. I've got your description. Yeah, I got your description of the episode right here. Our most authentic episode to date, and the next thing, it's the '80s. Harvey's published eight issues of American Splendor to critical acclaim, but little financial gain. He's still a flunky file clerk. Toby stops by to offer Harvey some gourmet jelly beans. Before you know it, the film gets meta as the real Harvey crosses paths with Paul Giamatti, and the real Toby Radloff crosses paths with Judah Freelander. What if there was a Harvey P. Carr Award in comics? How many? How nuns get their names? Critical success versus commercial success. The questions of Toby Radloff and ex- existential loneliness. Yes, and you know, man, Radloff is such an interesting guy. And um, I uh, now I'm blanking. Uh, oh God, uh, Wayne, uh, Wayne in uh, in Cleveland. That's his buddy. Wayne, Wayne uh, Allen Harold is. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. I love Wayne, and uh, you know his 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 community of people and everything. And yeah, Toby. Toby said, uh, listened to Word Balloon a couple times and said nice things about him. He did in the past. He's still with us, isn't he? He is, okay, yeah, yeah, and we're going to have him on the podcast. Oh, that's so great. Listen, oh, for wonderful. an upcoming episode. No, he's, yeah. he's great, man. He really is. He's such a genuine person, and I, and, I, and I love that about him. No pretension whatsoever. And it's really uh, yeah, his story as told in American Splendor, because I remember those uh, cut-ins from MTV when he was doing Spring Break, spring break in Cleveland, and it, was, yes. and it was fun. He was hilarious. So, yeah, and I, and I used to be at uh, – I can't remember what their message board community was that Wayne used to run. Back in the early two thousands, but I was there and I and I I chime in and on subjects as well. Good guys, man. I, I forget, John. Did you ever meet uh, Harvey Picard? No, I and I'm kicking myself, you know, because he came to uh, the Tribune Printers Row Book Fair one mm. summer, and it was when I think the Beats. I can't remember if the Beats came out posthumously or not, but I think that's what he was promoting, and I missed him. So no, I never got the chance. Never met Joyce. Uh, respect the hell out of both of them. And, uh, you know, God grew up, you know, in college, was watching Letterman every time, and really high school. I mean, it started around 82 or whatever when he started having Harvey on. And, uh, yep. I mean, yeah, no, Harvey was amazing. Absolutely cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jesus. And uh, I would I would have loved to have heard the conversation you would have had with him. It would have been a pleasure because I know he, you And know, you know why? Because of boxing. Because he, you know. I had no idea. Harvey. That's fantastic. 
So, so originally, you know, I did the quitter yes. with Harvey, which is basically his origin story, for lack of a better, <laughs> you know, description. Uh, but we, after American Sprint of the movie came out, I'd only done like maybe six or seven pages worth of com- of American Spender comics with him. Josh had, had done a lot more. Okay. And kind of as a thank you, he, he said, what do you want? And I said, well, I'd like to do something more substantial with you. And, and we started to come up with ideas that would be a gra- eventually a graphic novel that I would, you know, then take somewhere. In this case, it landed at Vertigo with Jonathan Bank and his editor. But the first idea he came up with uh, that didn't really fly was a uh, history of Jewish boxers. Oh God, that would have been great. For and I might have a I might have a document somewhere like I don't I don't know how many pages where he started writing out this whole thing, and I started looking up Jewish boxers, and I drew something, but it didn't really fly, and then. Uh, the quitter is what's what finally eventually sold, which is more his origin story. Wow! Oh, I so. didn't I didn't realize that you actually went down the path a little bit on the Jewish boxers book. Before. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I thought it was sort of dead on arrival. That's interesting. I've read so yeah. many great histories of you know people like Benny Leonard and oh God, the trainers, all the great trainers were mm-hmm. marvelous. You know, Jewish men that you know Whitey Bimstein and uh, Ray Arcel. And uh, these guys were just fixtures, literally, from the 30s into the 60s and worked with everybody. And good Lord, Ray Arcel, into his 80s and 90s, was training Roberto Duran and Larry Holmes. I mean, it just, wow. I mean, it just was this, like, unbelievable boxing sage. And I, I loved him. And Bimstein was just this cut man genius that, you know, uh, his daughter would tell stories of, like, kids would get scrapes and they'd come to Whitey. Because he had all the stuff that he would use in the ring for fighters, and he'd be able, you know, it's like no problem, I got this, you know, and it's just, oh, I love that stuff. No, and yeah, Benny Benny Leonard, known as the Ghetto Wizard of the twenties, one of the one of the greatest uh-huh. like fast hands and fast feet, just a great kind of dancing, top, you know, had a share of knockouts, but was a dazzling boxer and an incredible fighter. So yeah, I could, oh and yeah, I, Harvey and I would have something to I, talk about. You wow. would have a whole couple of podcasts. And it's funny because like, when he in, when he introduced that idea to me, I was like, where is this coming from? I, I get the Jewish thing, but I didn't understand where, you know, the the boxing, the pugilist, you know, interest sure. was until we worked on the quitter. And I realized that he was a bully who beat up people. And I was like, oh, that's kind of where Harvey was from. a bully that beat up people. He in the quitter. I mean, obviously, it's much more nuanced than that. Yeah. But. Part of the reason why it's called the quitter is because if he wasn't great at something, he'd quit it. Sure. That was part of his, his mantra. Uh, but if, if there, there are definitely a few instances where he's the aggressor and he actually beats kids up. Wow. Uh, as a youngster. And, and I remember when I drew those scenes, I mean, I wasn't in full Jack Kirby mode at all because it's memoir. But I remember drawing, you know, different angles, you know, uh, and, and going for the, a little bit of the gusto and getting criticized by, you know, the regular Picar fans that thought that I was the wrong artist for this story. Hilarious. Because, you know, oh my God, look at the way he's drawing someone being punched and there's blood and it's a Dutch angle or whatever the hell. And, and I was like, but that's how you draw a punch. Sure. That's how people fight in comics, you know? Like, come on, man, you know? Well, and also, you guys point this out early in the podcast. And I want to give you your credit, Dean. I I had no idea that you're like the guy that said, "Hey, Harvey's life should be a movie." Well, all right. So I I was an assistant to Ted Hope, the movie producer mm-hmm. at the time, and I remember uh, I don't know cleaning up or reorganizing his apartment, and I came across a bunch of scripts, and one of them 
said American Splendor on it. I was like, wait, what's this? And it must have been an early draft of, of a different iteration of, 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 you know, the American Splendor story. Uh, I don't. That was the Rob remember. Schneider one, probably. That was the Rob Schneider one, probably. Is that real? It, Is that real, Rob? Yeah. Yeah, he actually was like seriously considered for the role of Harvey, like not for the the film that eventually got made, but like yeah. earlier in the nineties. Uh, wow, which is so interesting. Absolutely, God, maybe that would have been a good. You no, know, no offense to Schneider fans, but God, that might have actually like given him a chance to do something other than. You know, what we got was. <laughs> did, he like, did he do a movie called like um, not American Gigolo, but Deuce Deuce Bigelow, Deuce Bigelow, male joke? Yeah, Gigolo. exactly, man. Yes. No, I mean, and I and I'll be honest, I do like him in some of the Sandler movies where he's got five minutes and stuff. But he's right, you know, he's, right. he's got Dan Aykroyd disease. Don't give him a whole movie. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, that's, it. that's it. And I love Dan Aykroyd. Uh, Good lord, comedy, yeah, yeah. comedy genius of the seventies, and and, and, right. and Ghostbusters and beyond. Just don't, you know. Doctor Detroit speaks very loudly. Yeah. But 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 conversely, who <laughs> knew that Harvey Picard could be a lead in his own movie? Absolutely. Basically, oh my god, you know? the way they made it was incredible. It's incredible, and and that's one of the things in revisiting this movie and discussing it with Josh on the podcast. Like, not only is Harvey great, and you know Joyce. But the people who portrayed the real the real people are incredible. You know, yeah. Paul Giamatti, man, he just went in next level. Yeah. You know, yeah. From, from what, Pig Vomit to Harvey Picard, That's you know? True. <laughs> Unbelievable what he what he was able to access and, and, and you know, bring Hope Davis was great as Joyce. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Judah Friedlander, Judah everybody Friedlander, in it. Toby, absolutely, man. Yeah, no, they're all but, great. But, but even more incredible is is how the filmmakers were able to so, all right, so I was telling you about Ted Hope. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I look up this script, I say, wait a second. And I've been drawing a couple of stories for Harvey. And I I, I say to, to Ted, I was like, you know what would make a great movie is doing America's Way. He's like, I know. I, you know, I, I've thought about that or whatever. But, you know, I was like, I can give you access to this guy and, and have a conversation. He's like, are you kidding me? I was like, no, I, I can make the phone call happen. And that's basically where it started. You know, it was like, me kind of getting like dusting off an old script that was abandoned, thinking about, wait a second, I'm w- working for a filmmaker right now who does independent films. He works with Ang Lee. He's worked with Hal Hartley, I believe. In fact, I think he started his career with Alex Cox on like Repo Man or something. Oh, wow. So the guy, uh, Ted Hope, you know, loves the alternative yeah. and the independent. Yeah. And so it was just a match made in heaven, I thought. And that's what happened. You know, it became. A year and a half later, it became this Sundance Award-winning film, you know. But but the true treasure, the the magic, the magicians are the filmmakers. Yeah, the, they the, really the, are. The directors somehow were able to consume all of this, you know, comic book history, and take this guy and his wife and their their story and turn it into like this. Well, as Josh always points out, a romantic comedy, yeah. which is how it was sold, even though it's very a very bizarre romantic comedy, you know? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. No, then again, it's it, – yeah, it's – and for film school buffs, like very many in Moskowitz in terms of just these very ordinary people finding each other and, and, yes. Harvey's, and Harvey overcoming, you know, real life. And, I mean, that's, that's the underlying point of American Splendor and, and, of course, the movie as well, but also breaking that fourth wall was really inventive yes. and makes the film stand, uh, you know, I think will stand the test of time and just be one of well, those great, unique movies. It, it could have failed miserably. Sure. And it it, it 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 was a brilliant, it was a coup. 
It like somehow they made it work and it feels jarring at first. It's bizarre and it becomes this meta thing that really serves the thesis of the movie as I think Josh and I are about four episodes away from finishing the production on the podcast. And we're about to come to probably the most important scene in the movie. Do you agree, Josh? Yeah. This, the, 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 my, the Harvey P. Carr name story scene. Yeah. That's, that's an all time favorite of mine, which it's been building up to the movie. You don't even know mm-hmm. it's coming when it happens, you know? And, and the movie tends to throw curveballs like that from the way, you know, Harvey and Joyce, their first date turns into a marriage, you know, uh, <laughs> like it, it's, it's, it, you can't believe it, but they, they do such a great job, you know, crafting it and, and performing it that itself, mm-hmm. it actually works. You, you believe it, you know? Yep. Um, and, and all the little opportunities that, that occurred because of the other message of the movie, which is, you know, show up to your own party, put yourself out there. If you want to, you know, craft and, and show and tell stories. Go for it. Don't let anybody stop you. Yep. Don't wait to be sanctioned. You know, I guess in a way that was a, an early message, you know, just from the comics alone before the movie ever came out. Sure. I, I, yeah. I, I believe to Josh and me and a lot of creators like us, like this guy just did it. He didn't, he didn't wait for permission. No apologies. You know? So now you're talking about Harvey himself now. Harvey himself. Yeah. And, yeah. and, the fact that he produced this comic series, you know, on his own dime with his own time, you know, without there being like a proven forerunner that was like, oh yeah, you know, people want to buy uh, black and white autobiographical stories about a poor schlub in Cleveland, you know, who's uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. big big market for that. Well, and, and yeah. but you're you're right. It's and and you know this is what fascinates me about the underground comic scene. And uh, finally got to talk to Dennis Kitchen uh, at the end of last year for the first time. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, yeah, I just, I mean, it's 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 its own little world that sits alongside the Marvel and DC world and everything. Um, and occasionally, you know, you'll get people like, uh, you know, uh, well, first of all, Josh, I wanted to get back because, you know, you did a great uh, project with uh, um, Brooke Gladstone. Of, uh, mm-hmm. of NPR's On the Media. And I, being a broadcaster, I am fascinated by that show, and I listen constantly. And I remember when your graphic novel came out, and there was a different kind of real story, and it was an attempt to kind of, you know, uh, because there's all this, like, kind of suspicion and anger towards the news media. I think uh, mm-hmm. this graphic novel that you and Brooke did, obviously, was, I mean, you you explain it better than I'm trying to, so go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So it's called it's called the influencing machine, and it, the thesis of it is that it's a given that everybody thinks that the media is out to brainwash you and to twist facts. Like we just all accept that, and the reason um, that uh, we all accept that is because we've broken the world down into you know there's like your media which you listen to yeah. and trust and is always objective and always fair on the right side yep. of things and. Um, exactly. And then there's the other media, you know, which is what the other people listen to. And that media is lying to them and twisting and deceiving and distorting the truth. So Brooke's thesis was that, well, the media is really just a mirror of society. And if if society is fractured and and lacking in trust and, uh, you know, on multiple levels, then the media reflects that. And so she, in 
what we do in the in the book in comic book form is sort of she traces you know this idea of manipulative media in sort of a larger sense like media being um television radio the internet books uh you know scrolls uh, i mean she keeps going farther and farther back and sort of goes back to you know where did even the concept of journalism emerge from and um, she goes all the way back to like you know ancient Guatemala and Rome and and sort of builds it back up to show us how did we get to where we are now and the cool thing about it of course is that it's all told in comic book form and I was lucky enough to be asked to illustrate it and it, it's actually a kind of funny story because I was just finishing AD I was literally you know cause okay. the book version of of AD is an expanded version of what's on the Smith website yep. and so I spent maybe you know four five six months um, working on that expanded version and doing all the production and working with Pantheon um, and uh, really, you know, making the, the book uh, into what it ended up being. Um, and right when I was finishing that up, I got a phone call out of the blue. I picked up the phone and on the other end of the line was this voice that I recognized because like you, I'm a avid fan of On the Media. And I was like, wait a second, that, I've heard this voice before. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Brooke Gladstone, you know, this voice that I'd heard every week on her show. And she was asking me if um, she says, I, I'm thinking of doing this comic book. And I was given your name as a potential illustrator for it. Wow. You know, would you be interested? And so we ended up meeting, um, you know, a couple of times uh, talking about what she had in mind and coming up with this avatar of her that is the, the sort of guide for the reader throughout yeah. the whole book. And... Uh, you know, uh, understanding comics was a big um, guide for us sure. or an inspiration for it's us. Cloud stuff, a, a, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and uh, sort of took it from there. And so I went straight on from finishing AD to then working for two years straight on uh, the influencing machine. So that was a pretty intense. That was about a six-year intense period of being chained to my drawing table. Jeez! But two pretty good projects came out of it. I, that I would say have so. definitely had long lives. For I sure. was going to ask. I would imagine that it still resonates now. In, uh, the influence, the influence machine. Yeah, both of them. I well, mean, AD has, yeah, I was has become a, a common read at a lot of colleges. So I've been fortunate enough to get to travel around and speak at different colleges that have used it as a book that like the whole incoming freshman class reads and discusses. And then the influencing machine has had a similar journey. And at first, Brooke was the one who was going around talking about the book. But in recent years, I've had the opportunity to go and talk about it as well. So, and we've done some joint, um, you know, appearances as well. So it's, it's pretty cool, like, uh, sort of where these things can take you. Yeah. And I think it opens your work to a, a different audience. And I think that's, that's fantastic. And much like Dino, you, when you did, uh, the, 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 the Cuba, uh, testimonial, uh, book. Oh, yeah, right. You know, I mean, I- yeah, Cuba, I, I, I say it again. Cuba, my revolution. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, Inverno Lopez yes. and uh, Jose Villarubia and Patrick Rousseau did the uh, the lettering, but and and Jose actually won his first uh, comic book industry award for coloring Cuba, my revolution. Wow, that's great. Fun. Yeah. And he's such a sweetheart. But yeah, I was able to. It's funny. As much as I was trying to escape. Memoir. I kept getting drawn back into it. In fact, I think Harvey Picard's The Quitter is the book that kind of put me on the map, to be honest. Um, even though I have been nominated for, uh, I don't know if they have this, this award anymore at, in the Eisners, but it's something about, like, you know, recognizing new talent or something like oh, that. Oh, was it the Russ Manning or, uh, 
No, no, not that. But just like you know, oh, check out the the, the new kids on the block. Sure. Even though by the time you get recognized, you're probably the old kid on the block anyway. <laughs> but um, but I I'd been nominated for Opposable Thumbs, which was my collection of autobio comics. Sure. Kind of when when Josh was doing a, a collection of his travel stories, I, I came out with that. I think in two thousand one. But um, anyway, so so I uh I did. The Quitter with Harvey Picard. Then I got to do The Alcoholic with Jonathan Ames and Lee Lowridge. And I think Patrick Rousseau lettered all three of the Vertigo graphic novels. Okay. And then Cuba My Revolution. But I, I was always desperate to draw The Fantastic Four or The Thing or something, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, superheroes having sex in outer space. I don't care what it is. And now that's what I'm doing. <laughs> what? You know? Now I'm finally... With Red Hook. Even, if, yes. now, even though I'm doing it now, it feels like, you know the Archie kind of PG version of, you know, the kind of stuff I want to do. Cause I kind of have this, I don't know, uh, this prude art style. I feel, you know, <laughs> um, it's funny. Cause I was talking to a friend about, about YA comics, mm-hmm. so, you know, uh, jo- George O'Connor is one of my studio mates and he does the Olympian series and it's very successful. And I kept looking at my art recently. And I was like, you know, I, I inherently have a YA Style, see, young I adult. See that. sure, you know? sure. And it's because I'm inspired by the likes of, you know, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, C.C. Beck, Will Eisner. But I would hazard that today's standards, those are YA styles. You know, like that first decade of Marvel, is, you could easily be YA books sure, today. Could. Yes, you know? definitely. And so, yeah, even though, uh, and I know we've, we've had other previous interviews where I guess I've talked about the current style of, of modern superhero comics, it's just too ornate too much detail it's like blockbuster art you know like trying to compete with the movies in some way or at least complement the movie styles and that's not my skill set or interest level to be honest you know well remind um, remind people of your uh yancey street uh uh oh right so so i did you know I, i've drawn for marvel and dc i've had the opportunities and i did a four issue miniseries called night falls on yancey street <laughs> uh, starring the thing and it was kind of like a pop noir comic yep. that evan dorkin yep. wrote that was a lot of fun, but even that experience was kind of difficult because, you know, I can tell the difference between what I'm providing art-wise versus what Marvel's publishing, and I was definitely an outlier. I mean, I was more in the camp, I hope, of, like, you know, Mike Allred and Darwin Cook. I you hear know? you, man. Uh, you know, I do think, and, and, I do think, especially at Marvel, I don't mean to cut you off because I know what you're saying yeah. about uh, superhero books being too ornate and everything. Yeah. But I do think and and actually I don't know now that CB is in charge, but it felt to me like when Axel was running things, guys like Trad Moore and uh like a t- Paul Pope, Paul Pope. Paul Pope. Yeah, atypical artists were getting their shots at doing mainstream Marvel books and that was really exciting or even I will say at DC uh Young Animal when you had guys like Oming doing the the Cape Carson book. Right. And I mean, you know, there there's that's a non Traditional kind of, you know, absolutely, and, and and I'm 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 glad for that. And I remember when Axel was the editor in chief, and he did take more of those risks, which are are less. I mean, look, look at what happened in what the last month. DC Comics eighty six is Vertigo, and now Mad Magazine. I wanted to talk like, to you guys about both of those things. Go on. What? What's next, Batman? No, I don't think. Yeah, of course not. No, of course not. Of course not. But that, no, no. What's next is that they're they're focusing, I believe, yes, on the tr- Trinity characters, Absolutely. Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, yep. and you know that's where they've seen the most success. That's where and the it, money it's is. A shame, yep. yep. But that's where the money is. So, I, as a business decision, I get it. It just it's just sad. Well, yeah, because you know? creatively, 
that's where all the like the you got to make room for the weird ideas. And I mean, and again, as a as a Vertigo veteran, I wanted to hear. And Josh, I want your opinion as well. It just uh, it seemed to me that it's like, God, you know, this is where you know the Invisibles and uh, you know Neil Gaiman stuff, and you know, of course, Grant mm-hmm. and and all these. I mean, I'm thinking of writers, but the artists as well. I mean, this is where the real experimental shit was happening. And, and they and they just announced uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman as a TV show. Right, right, exactly. You know? So a lot of, I mean, Karen Berger was way ahead of her time. Hundred percent, man. And, well, and even you and, know another another Vertigo thing that actually was a, a comic only a couple of years ago is going to be a movie in August, The Kitchen, which is all about nineteen seventies uh, mob wives. Uh, all the husbands are in jail, and the wives are like, and, and the mob is ignoring the wives and not, you know, barely giving them money to survive. And they're like, all right, we're going to take the business in our own hands. And it's like, that's a brilliant idea. And it's going to be Tiffany Haddish and, um, uh, oh, oh, what's great. her, uh, uh, Megan, um, oh, God, Mike. Ma- Mulaney? Yeah, Ma- 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 yeah. Oh, no, uh, no, not Megan Mulaney. Uh, Mike and Molly. Uh, oh, okay. I know, I know who you Yeah, uh, uh, McCarthy. Megan, uh, Megan McCarthy, right? I think. I think that's her name. Oh. Melissa, Melissa McCarthy. McCarthy, excuse Melissa. me. Thank you, Melissa guys. McCarthy. Yes. Sorry. No, yes. no. Hey, it's not my name. Shame on me. Sorry, Melissa. Apologies. The trailer looks amazing, <laughs> and it was Ming Doyle was the artist, Ali Masters was the writer, and it was this great Vertigo crime comic that flew under the radar. And I personally think, and I want your guys' opinions, um, just like uh, Mad Magazine, they just weren't really uh, like promoting this stuff, especially Mad. Oh God! It would get me so angry, and I just talked about this on my last episode that I recorded. Um, yeah, you go to San Diego Comic Con, and there's this great Mad mural in the DC booth area, and it looks like, oh yeah, there they go, they're right there, and everything right alongside the Justice League and everything else. But the reality right. is, last year Mad was publishing a Riverdale parody, and they even said it was Starchy rebooted. And you know, Starchy for <laughs> listeners, that was the classic. <laughs> Kurtzman yes. parody, or Kurtzman or Elder parody, or maybe both of them, uh, of, of Archie Andrews. And now yeah. Mad was going to take a stab at Riverdale, the, the soap opera. And it's like, that's fucking brilliant. They should be promoting this. And they didn't. Yeah. And this was from last year. And it was in doing prep for this conversation I had yesterday. And I'm like, how come I didn't know about this? This would absolutely have been something I would have promoted on Word Balloon. And it's something that, it was like probably one of my first comics, to be honest, Mad? as a kid. Sure. Was bad magazine, you know? Like it, 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 I may not have understood half of the humor at the time. Exactly. But Go on. It was, it was for it was it, it was an all ages comic. You know, kids could get something out of it. Adults could get something out of it. It was it was parodying you know pop culture, movies, literature, you know, and and then also all that stuff. Yep. And then the Mad Folden, yes, you know, I Al Jaffe. Yeah. I mean, and then and then. Recently, in, in the new iteration, when they started over the number one, I think it was Bill Morrison, who had worked on The Simpsons, yep. took over as editor-in-chief. Yep. And then, you know, they hired my buddy Bob Fingerman yes. and, you know, and a bunch of other folks, you know, the newbies to, to kind of take over. And I, it, I don't know what happened. And again, at the same time, we're talking about Internet and web and everything like where are the newsstands? Where do you find a Mad Magazine besides a comic book shop? Are they at the 7-Elevens? I don't have a 7-Eleven because I live in New York City. You know, like, I challenge you to so find them I, at the comic book stores, frankly. And I'm saying this living in Chicago. I don't think every comic book store in Chicago carried Mad. 
in the as far as yeah. magazine form because I was getting a lot of snide responses when I was griping about it over the weekend. Well, when's the last yeah. time you bought one, or do you subscribe? Like, no, I don't subscribe. But when it was something interesting on the cover, I bought it. And I can't tell you the last time I saw it. And also, they slowly started pulling it back. It's been dying a death by a thousand cuts for, for yeah. frankly, several years. And I, I talked to Bill because Bill had just done his uh, Yellow Submarine graphic novel. And I said, hey, man, I really want to talk to you about Matt. And he said, yeah. He goes, you know, let's let's wait a couple months and then we'll talk about Matt. And then literally he was announcing that he, you know, I mean, he barely got an issue or two out before he, he quit. And I have a feeling that the writing was on the wall. And he's like, they're not giving me the budget. They're not, you know, whatever. I'm assuming that. This is all my assumption. But, yeah, it was surprising because I know he was jazzed about getting the job. And I know he was a, you know, God, what he did for Bongo and all the Simpsons comics yeah. and stuff. What do you think, Josh? What do you, like, Matt? And, uh, well, wait, wait. Oh, should, we, should, we explain, sure, sure. should we Should we explain what Mad Magazine is to Josh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dean, go ahead. We'll use flashcards, Josh. Don't worry. It'll be, it'll be really easy. You'll get, you'll get it in two seconds. Don't worry about it. No, I mean, I mean. Don't do that to me. <laughs> I I agree with you guys a hundred, a thousand percent about Mad, like, as – as what it represented and what it was for our childhoods mm-hmm. and for our parents' childhoods, probably even more sure. than us. Uh, it was so formative for so many generations of, of wise asses. Yes. <laughs> but I think it was a victim of its own success. And maybe I'm just parroting what people have already been saying, but it just seemed like it wasn't relevant anymore because it had been surpassed by its imitators. The in a sense. And those, Yes, I, I Yeah, exactly. It, and The Simpsons. I mean, like, it, it, what Mad started, this kind of ironic, very suspicious take on popular culture became popular culture in the 1990s. And at that point, when it's available everywhere you look, uh, you know, a black and white magazine just doesn't have the, the cultural strength that it used to. So it, I, I, I mourn its passing, but I also kind of accept that at a certain point, some things have to, have to end, you know. Um, that's just well, the, the way I that- look at it. Like it's better than it just struggling along and being like a shell of what it used to be. If it doesn't have the impact anymore and it's not creating, it's not like forming new generations of, of, uh, wiseacres and, and, you know, cultural, uh, side eyers, then maybe it doesn't need to be here anymore. RIP. The other part of the, uh, of, of what's, what they announced, I believe, is that they're going to be stopping creating new material and just keep publishing it, but with reprints. Yep. So it is going to stick around. And I, I figure, well, why, why, why publish a magazine? Just publish book collections then, you know, like, well, maybe that's, maybe that is the you know? real, I, I, well, it's funny. Cause again, in the conversation yesterday, it almost sounds like they're doing that likely to uh, fulfill magazine subscriptions that are already in place. So rather than uh, refund right. people, okay, we're giving you the magazine as long as you're, current year subscription goes on. I mean, that's just a guess. And also, I will see after two issues. Well, they said there's new more, new content for the next two issues, and then they're going to uh, all reprints right. after that. But we'll, I, I guess we'll see. And I agree with you. Uh, you know, the survival of a black and white magazine is one thing. But then I point to Cracked, that whoever bought the assets of Cracked has reinvented Cracked, and it has a digital presence. And I think mm-hmm. is a funny website. And I do think that um, – and again, they've taken the Mad brand. 
Hell, that Fox show ran for 14 years, the sketch show that was on opposite yeah. Saturday Night Live. And even the Cartoon Network one of recent years was a pretty funny uh, show, 15-minute show. And it was for a YA audience, but it had that same flavor of mad humor, and I was pretty impressed with that. Um, right. So, yeah, I, I think... Uh, it should have. It should try to change with, and maybe they were. Maybe they were trying to change with the times. I mean, like I said, I've been reading a couple of these last issues to kind of you know see what was going on, and um, yeah, I don't know. The zip wasn't there, and it, like you said, it was an all ages book. I mean, that's the thing. It's it was great for twelve year olds and thirteen year olds to kind of start getting uh, a satirical comedy bet, right. but it also right. got in, like you said, Josh, uh, in its in its strength in the fifties. It was the Daily Show of its day. I mean, it really was mm-hmm. right there totally. with, with, and in fact was along in the list of what they called sick humor in the 50s, Mort Saul and Lenny Bruce. And it wasn't, mm-hmm. and it, it, some of it was gross out humor, but also it was hitting taboo subjects. I mean, that's what made it sick. It was like, oh, you can't go there. Yeah. And these guys did. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say, you say the Daily Show of its time. I, I know one of the co creators of the Daily Show, Liz Winstead. Okay. It just occurs to me. That she, oh god, why didn't they just hire her to write some material? I know they had hired some comedy writers for the new iteration, and 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 full disclosure, I actually did subscribe to it because I wanted to make sure that I got it because I wasn't sure my comic shop got it, and I wanted to see what Bob Fingerman and some of my sure. friends were doing. So I actually I do get this, and it's you know what's fun getting a comic book in the mail. Oh, I have yeah. not, I've never done that before, and it's it's weird, you know, like it. It gets delivered to your home, and, and it's got you know this extra piece of paper wrapped around it, and and if it rained, that means it got all wet, you know. Like, <laughs> and I still get pissed off at at that. I mean, I, I did they I send asking, it to you in a plain brown wrapper? No, no, <laughs> not that kind of magazine, Josh. <laughs> See, I really don't know what it is. I really don't. <laughs> so, so Mad Magazine is a humor publication. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not comprehending oh, any of okay. the words that you're. Right. Yeah, sorry. Not much, man. Okay, you guys are killing me. But I do think it's interesting what Josh said also as well is that it almost its imitators surpassed totally kind of what they were doing, and now we now again it's it's competing with all the media that's online. I mean, listen, can Mad? Uh, I didn't want to go there, but I was going to say, can it mad even compete with half the tweets people are following these days? I don't even know. Well, but that's the you thing. Know? I kind of felt like today's political environment would be easy grist for for Matt. And I and I and again, I think they did. They obviously were. They were making fun of the Trump administration. Of course, they were. In fact, oh, every every cover, every absolutely. Other cover had had because uh, I've been getting them. I, so yeah, I suspect it, it's interesting. I suspect that, um, frankly, especially with AT and T buying Time Warner. That it's, I think being in the satire business is a, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure budgetary choices were, were definitely part of it as well. But I almost wonder if uh, there there was any sort of like, oh, do we want to publish, you know, something that is willing to okay, John, do that John, John, a friend of mine has a real uh, strong point of view about the AT&T uh, buying DC, which is that they are ultimately going to probably stop print publishing. Could be because because AT and T doesn't doesn't see right. how print publishing makes any money. Right. So everything's going to probably transition to digital. It, you know, DC will probably eventually transition to digital. I mean, uh, another publisher, Marvel, didn't they? Isn't IDW right now publishing Marvel comics, original Marvel Marvel comics? Kids comics? Yes, they are. 
That's right. So they're, they're not even handling that that aspect of the publishing yep. realm. You know. Oh yeah. You know, it's, Marty Pascal was saying that even a couple of years ago that he expected the IPs to be that they would cease publishing and they would license them out to other publishers. And so that yeah, we, we well, might, you it, know, we, it's, it's happening. Yeah, yeah, it's happening. Yeah, could be, so. could be. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. No, and I do think you're right. I do think the next couple of years will kind of tell the tale of uh, where comics go as far as uh, the big, yep. the big two. Yep, yep. And, well, and with that in mind, <laughs> go on. <laughs> well, I mean, but but in that, with that in mind, it means that you can get depressed. But what are you going to do about it? Right. You're going to sit here and cry. Right. Or, or wait for an answer. No, you have to develop and spark your own answers. You know, when I wasn't getting hired by Marvel and DC at a certain age, I created Activate, you know, Absolutely. which was a web comics collective. You know, then, then Trip City. And, you know, and again, being inspired by the, by people like Harvey Picar's self-publishing American Splendor. You know, so I feel like part of the next step, everyone talks Kickstarter, but I do think Patreon is something that is, is interesting to look at. Some people are doing pretty well with Patreon. I don't know if they're paying their rent with it, but, you know, and so I'm thinking about sparking a Patreon myself because now that I've tasted full autonomy, I don't know if I can go back, John. I get it. Believe me, I get it. You I know? understand. I I have a very simple radio job when it comes to broadcasting. I'm not a host. I'm just re- literally right. reporting traffic, and that's fine because even in the confines of that, sometimes I'll make a wise crack, and they're like, uh, keep it to the traffic. And it's like, okay, fine. I get it. Wow. And again, I get to cut loose on Word Balloon. And Word Balloon is the, the, like I said, it's the talk show I've always wanted. And, uh, that's and then right. that's why. And yeah, I don't have to answer to anybody. So no, I get it. And also, again, we mentioned it before, the rise of image, but also I just think, uh, both online and, uh, published creator comics and stuff. I think, uh, yeah, it's, I, I think, I think it's a great time. I really do think the last 20 years has been an upswing in terms of, People being able to, you know, make their stuff and and get it out there. And yeah, you're right. It, it's competition, and there, there's it's fierce. But again, I do think quality stuff finds its audience. And being unique, I yes. Mean, just I don't mean be different to be different because we are different. Sure. So just <laughs> you know, be okay with that and be different. And then eventually, and then and then show up. Don't be shy to tell people about your stuff. See if you can make a dent. You know. And 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 see what happens. You know, yeah. I, I get it. We have to pay rent. We we need. And I'm about to. You know, I'm about a month and a half away from not having any new work. You wow. know, and 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 that's that's the life of the freelance. I'm with you, man. It's not. Yeah. yeah. You know. You know. Josh knows. I know. So you're always developing new ideas, keeping your ear to the ground. You know, finger on the pulse. See what's happening. I mean. You know, it's, we're, we're, we're three middle-aged white guys <laughs> complaining right now, you know? Like, no, we're figuring it out, man. We're, it's like... But we're figuring yeah, it out. Yeah, and, right. and honestly, it's like we're, we're, we're telling it like it is. It's like, hey, this this isn't the world that we grew that our parents grew up in, in terms of you could have one job, and you don't worry, that gold watch is going to be there and everything else. And it's just like, you know, um, right. yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I asked my mother this about this when I was younger... And I declared, like, at age 12, I was like, I want to be a comic book artist. And she had no worries about that, not because she knew comics, but she was deputy director of the New York State Council of the Arts. So she understood about funding and and the trials and tribulations of what it was like to be an artist in New York City. But she wasn't worried for me because back then you could be an artist in New York City. You may not have a yacht and you may not get a country house, but you could probably get by if you were good enough and committed enough 
to, you know, scratch by. Maybe you have a roommate and you eat, you know, cheap food or whatever. And nowadays you need three jobs and six roommates yep. in order to scratch by. Yep. No, I know, man. So, I know. And she can't believe what happened. You know, yeah. she doesn't understand. It. No, I hear you. Uh, no, none of us do. And, and they really, I mean, that's, and, and, and again, there's a generation of kids that are coming out of college and they're facing the same problems that we are. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine the, the anxiety of all right. that. You know? So, yeah. All right. So yeah, there we go on a scary end note. That's good. No, what else is that's terrifying? <laughs> well, I'm glad, honestly, everybody just stop. Everybody stop what they're doing. Slide out. <laughs> That's right. Get into a corner and start quivering. That's it's true. all right. Well, be all right. So beyond the podcast, what else is going? Josh, what else is going on right now? What do you got coming up? Well, um, I uh, I'm actually doing a lot of teaching nowadays. Terrific. So I teach at SVA, the School of Visual Wonderful. Arts, here in New York City. I'm on faculty there, and I teach a course with uh, Nick Bertozzi, another yes, one of these indie cartoonists. Excellent. Yeah, and I also um, teach a summer course at Michigan State um, through the journalism department on nonfiction comics. And I also teach at a master's program um, with a low-residency uh, uh, master's program called Solstice out of their English department. So I find it very funny to think that comics now are not only being taught, you know, which is yes. was uncon- inconceivable to me because Dean and I went to an art high school. We went to music and art high school, now known as LaGuardia okay. High School, the fame school. And yes. they would not have taught us comics if you'd ha- had a gun to their head. Like they did not think of comics as a legitimate art form. You know, it was it was below commercial art even. It was this bastard child of, uh, you know, something that you weren't supposed to be caught like thinking about so i find it so ironic now that here i am i don't even have a degree in in comics i certainly don't have a master's but i'm teaching comics out of a journalism program out of a cartooning program and out of a a creative writing program (laughs) um so i i kind of just thank my lucky stars every day uh but i have you know besides the podcast which um is taking up a lot of our time because we're, as Dean was mentioning, we're trying to bank a bunch of episodes so that we can have them all nicely edited and perfectly formed and shaped when we release them every week. Uh, I am developing a new project that's going to be partly memoir and partly reportage, and um, it has to do with this epidemic of school shootings that our country is suffering through. Wow. So. Um, let's, you know, let's, let's leave it at there for now because it's still very much like in the, in the getting a proposal ready for my agent stage. But I'm hoping to spend the next couple years, uh, crafting that and, and putting that out there and hoping to start a conversation. That's great, man. Very, very cool. And Dean, you know, like you said, uh, you're wrapping up th- season three of Red Hook and, uh, the, did you yeah, say volume two is coming out from Image later this fall? Yeah, Volume 2, War Cries, supposed to come out in October from Image. I'm wrapping up Season 3 of Starcross, uh, my production on it. But it'll, it, it's uh, I think uh, chapter, 15, chapter 16 is coming out this Wednesday out of 26. And But it's funny. I was just thinking about what Josh was saying about how more, there's more schools teaching comics. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like if I was teaching comics in my senior year or whatever, however long the course ran, it, 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 I would – at the end of, uh, of of the course, I would teach them how to be an electrician so they would, could get a job. I'm with you, man. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teach you them a marketable skill. Absolutely. Something marketable. Something that, you know, I don't know how to cook. 
or you sure. know whatever because that's what happens in a lot of these art schools is like you, you get this degree and then what happens right you know like and that's that's the difficult uh transition you know in into turning that into into monetizing uh the thing you learned and, and the skills that you you've acquired and 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 the passion you have for these things and it's funny sometimes i'll meet young you know budding artists and the first question they always ask isn't how do you do what you do it's are you making money sure. at this? how do you make money at this uh yeah. and i get it but that was not my first question <laughs> i just wanted to draw fantastic four um <laughs> and i did actually. i did draw fantastic. <laughs> anyway uh so i don't know i mean what what so with that uh after i wrap up uh starcross I'm going to be going to Yado, the artist writers retreat in Saratoga. Oh, that's Springs. great! I know you've done it before. Absolutely, man. Yeah, it's a lot of fun and and a, and a special place. And I hope to uh, finish writing a novel I started uh, years ago, and that's that would be a nice space to do that in. Plus, also develop other ideas. And I guess the only other thing that's coming up really is I've also been writing a new play. Hey, great! Which has been fun. Thank you. And I, uh, I collaborated with writer Dave Kelly. He's the co-creator of a comic called Tales of the Night Watchmen, which is, uh, published by So What Press. And it's a local, uh, you know, comic book series that just got picked up, uh, even though it's So What Press publishes it, uh, they're going to be distributed by It's Alive. And we decided to do a crossover between Tales of the Night Watchmen and The Red Hook. And, uh, I co-plotted this story. With Dave Kelly, co-wrote it, and it's called The Untold Legend of Luna, and it's drawn by uh, Tales of the Night Watchman artist Brett Hobson, or he's one of the artists, and he's drawing it right now, and I think that'll be coming out in December. So it'll actually be uh, another comic book out there with the red hook in it. That's fantastic. Am I right, Night Watchman? Wasn't that like kind of a Batman uh, kind of Uh, inspired uh, idea, or no? Is that a different Night Watchman? Oh, I... Well, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it sounds like a familiar character. Uh, he's, he, you know, he's, he has a scepter with the, with magical powers. Yeah, I'm looking now. I'm looking at a cover now. Okay. So, so you are aware. I mean, I think there are like eight issues out there. He's been doing this for uh, a few years with Lara Antel and other artists and writers. And it's just what, what I when I approached Dave and I, and I kind of had this idea. I was like. Listen, who are the local Brooklyn artists? The the local, you know, Brooklyn publishers with with local Brooklyn characters. And that was one of them. You know, I know that Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor have one, I think with Frank Thierry, yep. Captain uh, Brooklyn. called Captain Brooklyn. Yep. Uh Riley Brown co-created a series called I think Power Play. Yes, that's uh, right. With some characters. Yes. And so, you know, I I I like that there that you know there's this local stuff. I'm sure Chicago has a, a hero somewhere, you know, <laughs> yeah. lurking around. Uh, and and I just I don't know. I, it, it kind of Michael pulls Jordan. up the heartstrings. Michael what? Michael oh, you got Jordan. Michael Jordan? <laughs> he is a superhero. That's a real. You're life right superhero. about that. You're right about that. That's no joke. Jeez. But yeah, so that's that's what's coming out next. Plus, you know, it, when you have ideas, like just this morning, it took me two hours. I was about to leave my house, and I had an idea, and two hours later went. Went and I jotted oh, down. Oh, that's good, man. That's good. Oh, uh, you that, leaned into the impulse. That's, that's good. That's well, that's good. That means the creative juices are flowing and you're firing. See, you're not. You're not. You're not <laughs> wasting your middle age. Don't worry about it, man. It's no. There's no crisis there. God, I hope not. <laughs> no, man. Honestly, I and I'll and I'll, I'll end on this way. And I want to know what you guys think. When I hit fifty, it was like, all right, what haven't I done yet? And what do I still want to do? 
and truly, that's mm. that's where my focus has been the last uh, four years. And I can honestly say that you know I've I've had some enough successes, or at least uh, good attempts, that I'm I'm not I'm not dissatisfied. I'm like okay, I'm like you know, God forbid, if I lightning struck tomorrow. And they're and they're burying me. Mm-hmm. I can honestly say that I got to do a lot of fun things on my terms. I consider this podcast like a like a musician that plays clubs, and it's like mm-hmm. I have regular gigs. I'm not I'm not selling out stadiums, but I do have right. a nice following that shows up when I when I come to play, and that's cool, yep. and that's great, and that's very satisfying. And especially as like I said, the broadcast world collapses around me. So yeah, mm-hmm. what do you what no, do you guys I think? Yeah. No, I think I think it's great. I think the the one thing I've learned, and I guess we'll end with Josh. But the one thing I've learned is that I am a workaholic. I working is not hard for me to do, and of course, my work in general these days is doing something I love. Sure. But what I need to do more is to recreate, hang out with my girlfriend, hang out with my friends, go outside, get get out of the chair. Yep. That's what I did because I you know someone just had a heart attack last week. Some young cartoonist from just sitting too much, yeah. you yeah. know, and it's mm-hmm. a wake up call. And I don't, I don't want to have that kind of wake up call, you know. I mean, even though I ride my bike every day to and from the studio, uh, that's not enough. I got to get out more. So that's that's my next uh, my next mission. Yeah, that's something that Dean and I talk a lot about. Is uh, it's sort of how we're balancing the fact that yeah, we're getting to do what we love, but we also have this. Uh, I don't know if it's the American Protestant work ethic idea that you just have to be productive constantly. I think that that's something, Dean, I know you and I used to talk about that when we were teenagers. It's like yep. you've got to be productive, got to be making stuff, you know, and that onus sort of can get in the way of being just a, a human being sometimes and remembering to get outside and spend time with your family and your loved ones and, you know, finding the balance between all that. And then, of course, the freelance life is like you never turn down a potential job. So that also obviously affects, you know, how much free time you have because you never know. You might have too much free time in a month. So you better, you know, make hay while the sun shines. Mm-hmm. Understood. Understood. Well, guys, honestly, a pleasure and uh, good stuff. I, I, I expected no less. And I, I really uh, good luck with the uh, scene by scene. And as you continue to explore, the world of American Splendor, but also uh, the the world that informed the film as well. And uh, no, it, the, the, I think your dynamic comes through as far as this conversation we've all had. And uh, uh, and yeah, man. <laughs> hey, seriously, good luck with all the, the comic projects and stuff. That's that's great stuff. And please, you're well. You're both welcome back as always to uh, to talk more. Thank Thanks you, John. So much, John. Thank you. Great conversation as always. Yeah, and actually, John. Yeah. Before we sign sure. off, uh, you you mentioned you, you don't have to leave this in, but uh, you mentioned that you're a traffic reporter, yes. and one <laughs> of the things that really told me that I was in a new place was when I moved to Chicago because I was listening to the traffic reports on the radio, and whenever they would mention sort of slowdowns in after an accident and the people that were were uh, causing traffic delays because they were watching the accident. What do you guys call that a out gaper, there in Chicago? A gaper's delay. Yes, gapers. yes. Uh, Slack jaw and yokels. What do you? Uh, I'm sure assholes. But what else do you call? Them? <laughs> <laughs> that those are rubbernecks. Oh, okay. Here on the I East lo- Coast. So <laughs> I, I was, you know, used to hearing a traffic report where they talk about rubberneckers, but gapers was a whole new thing. For I know. Me. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of want them to like do comics of slack jawed, like people with their mouths open, like a Mo Howard kind of <laughs> shock and awe kind of look on their face and stuff. <laughs> 
There you go, Josh Neufeld, Dean Haspiel. Check out Scene by Scene. You can find it wherever you find podcasts. And I'm telling you, it's very entertaining and uh, reminds us how great of a movie American Splendor was. But uh, their conversations are fantastic, and I think you'll enjoy hearing them, especially if you enjoyed this last conversation that we just had. And uh, look forward to their new projects coming up very soon. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. It was all brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Tremendous books, great genre-breaking books that deserve your attention. I am very excited about some of the new upcoming titles. Can't wait to uh, pour through Joe Pruitt's horror anthology, Shock. Looking forward to talking to Joe uh, in the weeks ahead. Also, Cullen Bunn's Night's Temporal uh, to put alongside his other books like The Brothers Dracul and Dark Ark. Also, uh, Tim Seeley's Dark Red is fantastic. Chris Sabella's Trustfall. Donnie Cates' Baby Teeth. Marguerite Bennett's Animosity. Uh, Garth Ennis' A Walk Through Hell. But also, uh, upcoming, uh, Matthew Clickstein's You Are Obsolete. In the weeks ahead, we'll be talking to more Aftershock creators about their books. But don't wait. Go to their website. You'll find full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books to order through your local shop at AftershockComics.com. Thanks again for listening. More great Word Balloon coming uh, this month. Man, I have got some cool uh, surprises to, to give to you. Uh, in the days ahead, I know uh, next week is going to be uh, San Diego Comic-Con. I won't be there. I will be at Terrificon the following month, though, in August, just a month away. Can't wait to be there. Uh, we're going to have some uh, more guests that are going to be at Terrificon. Uh, one Terrificon guest is uh, Cully Hamner, and uh, he's our sister uh, podcast today that I'm uh, putting out. So if you enjoyed this conversation, make sure you check out the conversation with Cully, also released today. And, uh, man, some very exciting surprises. Old friends coming back, uh, new people for the first time, and I can't believe uh, some of the names I've been able to attract. So uh, be uh, be looking out for, uh, in the next couple days for some more great Word Balloon conversations for July and beyond. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2019. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.